0: Good morning, everyone, and how you doing? I'm Pastor Jose from Church of the Bridge. Go ahead, slap somebody, high five, tell them I am glad you are here. Glad you're here. Come on, come on, man, bring it in. Glad you're here. Okay, that didn't quite go the way I planned there, but that's fine. All right, hey, uh, we've been on a series entitled "Unstuck," and I know that it's Memorial Day weekend, and we certainly acknowledge the men, the women, the families, the people that even to this day mourn the loss of one who gave his life, gave her life for our freedoms. And so we celebrate that and we thank God for them. Amen? Can we give it up for that, man? And so, look, uh, today I want to dive right back in into the series that we've been called Unstuck. And have you ever been stuck? You ever felt stuck? You ever get to a place where you just feel like, Something's missing. Something's not right. You feel like you kind of plateaued in life. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can all agree that we've been there. And I think that for some of us, even today, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you're there today. No judgment, no condemnation in that. But I want you to think about what's really going on. You know, stats today reveal that there's a demise in the quality of life among many people in this country, just in this country, never mind the world, today. As a matter of fact, the stats prove that people's life satisfaction has gradually declined over the last 10 years. People report that less and less they're satisfied with the quality of their life. Listen to some of these things. One in five adults today in the United States, that's 46 million people, experience mental illness in any given year. Another 18.1% of adults experience an anxiety disorder such as PTSD, OCD, or other specific phobias. Half of all chronic mental illness begins, watch this, by age 14. That's as early as it's starting today. And three quarters by the age of 24. 26% of households, that's over 50 million people in the United States. uh, 26% of households are single parent families. And 39.7 million people today live in poverty, and that number keeps increasing. Here's a few other stats for you. 42% of marriages today end in divorce within the first three years. And watch this. Amongst Christians today, over 60% end in divorce. And in the last 40 years in the United States there has been a rapid and consistent decline in people attending church and seeking God. It's down to 17.7% of people in the United States want to know anything about God. And so the reality is that life is on a decline around us. And people don't realize that they're settling for a life at a level less significantly than the quality of life that God has for us. Go going and tell somebody, God has got something better for you. Tell somebody else, God has something better for you. There's more to this life. And so we have to ponder this question. Why, why this decline? What's going on? And in the series that we've been on, we've been diving into the book of uh, Galatians. It's a letter written by this guy named Paul to a people that were in a region called Galatia. And Paul, at one time, had had several encounters, as a matter of fact, three different times. He journeyed to this region, which was a Roman province at this time, and he, he, he lived amongst these people, and he shared with them about this message of Jesus Christ. And they began to see life differently. These people were pagan, uh, heathen worshipers. By na- they, they were heathens. They wanted nothing to do with God. And all of a sudden, this guy, Paul, shows up, and he begins to talk to them about the love of God. And that begins to work on their heart. That begins to transform transform their perspective of life to such an extent that the Bible reveals that these people were free. And we know that because Paul addresses to them in the book of Galatians this issue of freedom. Freedom. And he reminds them, hey, you were made to be free. But then he goes on to say this to them. So why are you going back as if you were a slave? Why are you buying into that past? And so today I want to talk to you. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, and I want us to lean into the topic of how to have a fruitful life. A fruitful life. Now, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you don't have one, that's fine. You can join us right here on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to dive into verses 13 through 26. We'll see if we read them all at one time, but uh, in any event, let's start at Galatians 5, chapter 1. And we're looking at verses uh, 1 through 10. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Read that with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So watch this. That's the goal. That's what life is supposed to look like. That's God's desire for you and me that we would live unstuck unhindered, unrestrained from anything and everything that robs us from God's very best. And he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A yoke is simply something they would use to train oxen. Animals that would would, would haul and and, and pull things along. And so he says, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so he says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Let me just pause right there. Because this this sounds kind of weird when it starts saying, don't let yourself be circumcised. You know, what, what is he talking about? And what he's talking about is that these Jewish Christians came. These were people who grew up under the Jewish law. And according to the Jewish law, you had to be circumcised by the eighth day. Uh, you had to be, when you were born, you had to be presented before the Lord the eighth day. And there's 613 laws that you're supposed to follow. And there's all these do's and all these don'ts and all these holidays and days of observance and rituals. And so it was like this huge burden. And so these people came into this region of Galatia after Paul had taught them about Christ and began to speak to them about these things and say, hey, we believe in Jesus too, but... Have you had your surgery yet? Have you made your appointment yet to go and be circumcised so that you could be right with God? And so these people came putting an emphasis on what we do as opposed to what God has done. That's a very important point because religion says you got to change this. You got to change that. You got to let go of this. You got to let go of that. You can't be here. You can't go there. You can't be around these people versus relationship with God says it's based on what I've done for you and my love for you. That, that'll set you free. That's the type of relationship you want to be in with God, not religion. And so he goes on to say then in verse 4, you who were trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that counts, listen closely, is faith expressing itself through love. I'm going to say that again. The only thing that counts. Now, this isn't my opinion, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're not here leaving with my opinion because I have none. I want you to consider what God says in his word. He says the only thing that counts from this point forward is this. It's faith in God expressing itself through through love. Now, you know, we get flagged sometimes. It's like, oh, what, what difference are you making with a popcorn machine and some ICs and, and, and a bounce house and, you know, talking to people? Can I tell you that love is a language that everyone understands regardless of what they believe? And can I tell you that, listen closely, the scriptures say this, that we love because he loved us first. And so the full expression of love is God. 1 John 4 says, God is love. It doesn't say he has love. It doesn't say he feels love. It says he is love. And so understand that this is paramount to a walk with God. It's not as complicated as people make it out to be. And so watch what he says in verse 7. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And then he goes on to say, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, that word confusion there is the word trouble, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. I want to jump real quick to verses 13 through 26 just to give some further context and then we're going to really dig into this. He goes on to say in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, got to tell somebody, my brother, Tell somebody else, my sister. sister. Some of you looked at a woman and said, my brother. (laughs) Guys, no, no, no. Stay with me. Stick with me. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's talking about desires apart from God. He says, Don't indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you'll be destroyed by each other. And so I say, walk by the Spirit. That word walk there means to live in a manner by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just want to clarify something. This is in my notes. That is not saying that people that live that way are not going to heaven. When the Bible talks about inheriting the kingdom of God, you got to understand what the kingdom of God is. The scriptures say that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That that's a state of being that we receive a lifestyle, a a manner of life that we now embrace in the kingdom of God. So if you're living this way, because how many of you have ever had a fit of rage? Oh, come on now. Don't be so spiritually minded. You're no earthly good. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever been jealous? Oh, don't tell on yourself, you know, don't, don't tell on yourself. But I want you to think about this. We've all been there in some of these, in, in, in whatever regard. We've been there to some extent. And here's what the scripture is saying. If, if you're living and subscribing and following that way, here's what happens. You rob yourself of the opportunity to experience the life that's yours in Christ. You forsake it. It's still yours. But you can't enjoy the peace and the joy and the strength and all this stuff that comes with it. And so he goes on to say in verses 22 through 26, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. That means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live that by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other so there's a lot to be said there and i want to really try to unpack this but in a comprehensive way and i want to start off by simply making this statement according to what we just read in the scriptures that you have been called to a life marked by freedom you've been called to a life marked by freedom and i'm gonna tell you why that's important because sometimes we settle for stuck because it's normal We settle for stuck because it's what we know. We settle for stuck because it's what we see. We settle for stuck because it's what we've been taught. It's the example we've had. And the scriptures say, no, 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 no. But I love what Paul says here because he talks about us bearing fruit. And how many of you know that if you're ever going to have a fruit, something has to be sown first, right? And so I want you to start thinking about this, that our freedom depends on what you sow. Your freedom depends on what you're allowing to be sowed into your life. See, the Galatians allowed the wrong seed into their garden. And this isn't a letter just to them. Listen, this applies to us. Notice in verse 10, if we could just put that back up real quick. In verse 10, it says that they were being thrown into confusion. That word confusion there is the Greek word for trouble. But here's what it means. It means to agitate. It means to cause inward commotion. It means to take away the calmness of mind. It means to disquiet and make one restless. It means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. It means to perplex and distress. Watch this. By way of suggestion of doubt. It's lies that draw your thinking and your understanding away from the freedom and the fruit that God wants to bring in and through your life. And so you see these Galatians like us they allowed the wrong things in their life. And their search for God and all that was good I mean that was active but they were missing something. Now think about this. A farmer knows he has a problem when his land ceases to produce fruit. If you sow a seed and you want your pretty little dandelions and your roses and your carnations or whatever it is you're growing in your backyard or your front yard or whatever it is, if you sow a seed and nothing comes of it, I guarantee you, you will go and investigate what's going on. You will. And like a farmer, we have a problem when our lives cease to produce the fruit of what God has designed your life for. So, I want you to take a personal inventory for a moment. I don't want you to nudge anybody. I don't want you to look at somebody and go, hmm, told you you need to be in church today. I don't want you to do that. I want you simply to take this personal. Consider this question. What fruit are you presently producing in your life? What fruit? Now notice the two types of fruit. Galatians 5, 19 and 21. We read this, but I'll just read it to you real quick. It says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. That's just talking about strife, constant lack of peace, factions. That's talking about divisions where you belong here and I belong there. I'm in with this crowd. You're with that crowd, right? And envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that the fruit you're producing? Now, I want you to think about this. I'm not talking about you stub your toe and you drop a bomb. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle marked by this mindset. We're talk, there's two different things. We all drop the ball. Can I get an amen on that one? Right? We, we all drop the ball, right? myself included. Don't let the past title fool you. Right? So we all drop the ball, but there's a difference when this is the manner of life we lead. And here's what the scripture says. There's no fruit there. That fruit won't produce anything good. But watch verses 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's forbearance, which is patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. It says, against these are such things. There is no law. In other words, there's nothing that restricts This type of fruit in your life. This is what God wants. How many of us could use a little more peace? A little more joy, a little more love, a little more kindness, a little more patience, a little more gentleness, right? Every one of us desires this. And so you see, your fruit says a lot about which sower and what seeds you've invited to be planted into the garden of your heart. Listen, everything that we're producing in life is a result of something that we're believing, something that we're thinking on, something that's defining our perception of self, our perception of life, our perception of others. And so today, for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to give you some practical steps, some things to consider about having a fruitful life. And the first thing I want to say to you is that God designed your life to be fruitful, but someone has to tend the garden. God designed your life to be fruitful, but somebody has to tend the garden. Genesis 2:15 reveals something from the very beginning of time. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, listen closely, to work it and take care of it. Say that with me, to work it and take care of it. Watch what God did. He gave him the garden. It was all provided. Everything was right with God and good. But watch what God said. Now you take care of it and you tend to the garden. You know, that says a lot to us if we take time to really think about that. From the beginning, God created you to work in the garden. There's a life full of promise and fruit for you. But watch this. You have to work it and keep it. You have to work it and keep it. No one is responsible for the fruit you reap in your life but you. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Listen to this quick story. It says a Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned on staying at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedule in times. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida first on Thursday with his wife flying down on Friday the following day. And so the husband checked into the hotel, and there was a computer in his room, and so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address, and without realizing his error, sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a minister who went home to be with the Lord following a heart attack. And the widow decided to check her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother lying on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. He says, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived, and I've been checked in. I've seen that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is uneventful as mine. P.S. It sure is hot down here. I'll tell you why I share that story with you. Because sometimes we get occupied with tending what pertains to someone else. Can I, can I just say this to you? Look, I grew up in church. I've, 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 I've gone through the motions of church. It sickened me. It sickened me. And I, I can tell you that when I was growing up, I... Believed in God, but my belief in God was based on somebody else's experience. I was looking to what somebody else said, to what somebody else did, to how somebody else acted, and it left me feeling empty. So much so that at the age of 15, I said, I'm done with this Jesus stuff. And I loved Jesus. I just hated going to what I thought was church. It was a building. That had to change. And that started to change when I began to understand that, look, no one is responsible for my growth. Let me say that to you. No one is responsible. Your pastor, the pastor, is not responsible for your personal walk and growth with God. No facilitator, no group leader, no teacher, no college, no ministry, no person. No one is responsible for the fruit that's meant to come from your heart, from your life. And so God, from the very beginning, wisely created us and said, you keep the garden. You tend to it. You, you, you watch what's going on there. And so, see, fruit needs a firm root to grow. Galatians 5.1 says this. If we could just put that up real quick. It says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Watch this. Stand firm then. Stand firm then. I'll tell you why that's important. Because that word, that term there, stand firm, means to plant yourself and make your, put yourself in a position which is stationary. In other words, I am not moving from here. And here's what the scripture is revealing to you and I. That we are to hold our ground in this freedom that's available to us in God. You can't let your freedom go. You can't give it away. You can't be moved by what people say, what people do, what people think. So make it a point to keep that which is yours. Be aware about what happens in your plot. That makes sense? When you're minded on someone else's plot, you bring suffering to your own. You ever been there? You're angry like somebody gets into a disagreement with somebody else and you have nothing to do with it. And that other person comes around and you go... I'm not talking to you. I'm not your friend. Wait, they didn't even offend you, but you're offended for the other person. Think about that. Giving away our fruit. You're giving away your peace. You're giving away your strength. And so you got to mind your own plot. But to do that, you've got to be resolute and decided, I'm not moving from the love of God. I'm not moving from the promises of God. I'm not moving from what God says about who I am and what I've been called to. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. It says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. I like the way another translation puts it. It says, work out your own salvation. Anybody got some muscles? Ah, see, some of you are deceived. You believe you have no muscles. But let me tell you why you believe you have no muscles. Because you haven't worked them out. They're there. But you see, they grow as you work it. Baby, let me tell you something. Work your faith. Work it. Work it. Work, work, work. To the bomb, bomb, bomb. You guys are... I can't wait till our 11 o'clock service. No, let me stop. (laughs) Listen. Watch what verse 13 says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what he pleases. Listen. Faith in God is God working in you. Got nothing to do with you doing something for God. It's God working in us, through us, empowering us. And so look. Here's something else to consider. Fruit does not come without a commitment to finish. I like the way Jesus put it. Jesus once said, I'm going to paraphrase this, so don't hold me, don't stake me to the cross for not quoting it exactly. But Jesus says this, he says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is, is worthy of this call. They can't be my disciple. And so what I want you to see is this, that Jesus said, listen, you got to put your hands to the plow and you got to move forward with this thing called faith, forward with this thing called trust in God. And so fruit does not come without a commitment to finish. You can start going to church. You can start believing in God. But, you know, there's a lot of people that started and never finished. What's the point of that? In Mark chapter 5, uh, and I'm not going to read it, but it, it, it accounts uh, for a moment in the life of a woman who found herself, with the scriptures tell us she had an issue with a flow of blood. And basically what the scriptures reveal is that this woman had spent all her resources and all her energies going to doctors and going to experts and going to different people. And she was seeking, 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 and nothing, nothing worked. And then she gets wind that Jesus is around. And she goes to Jesus, right? She hears that Jesus in this particular area, and she shows up. And you know what's interesting about it? It was jam-packed. And so she shows up, and as she sees that Jesus is there, verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5 tells us this. If we could just put that up, please. It says that when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched the cloak. Now, let me just pause right there. The thing about it is this. To get to Jesus, she had to get through the crowd. And let me tell you what we do sometimes when it comes to seeking God, when it comes to a commitment to following God. We do this. Oh, man, that's in the way. So, yeah, I can't do that. Why not just get real with this? Excuse me. You're going to have to get out of my way. Pardon me. I need to get through here. Excuse me. Excuse me. Bro, I'm sorry, man. I ain't even apologizing. You need to let me through because, look, this this is what I believe, and I have to get there. I have to get there. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you getting a picture of how this is supposed to work? Listen closely. Fruit does not come without, without a commitment to finish. You got to get started, but you got to get going and you got to finish this. And so, look, if you're going to be fruitful, let me leave you with these last points. Let me leave you with these last closing thoughts. That if you're going to be fruitful, be mindful of who you allow in your lane. Now, I started to touch on that. I started to touch on that. If you're going to be fruitful, you've got to be mindful of who's in your lane. Listen to Galatians 5, verses 7 through 9. It says, this is Paul again speaking to the Galatians. He says, you are running a good race. Watch this. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? Who'd you allow in your lane is what he's saying. Man, you started this race. You were running your race. You were focused not on the start line. You were focused on the finish line. And he says, and you started running and all of a sudden, you let somebody cut in on your lane. He says, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I want you to see what the scripture saying here. God's not asking you to run someone else's race, but he's also not asking you to allow someone else to get in your lane to run your race. He says, I got a lane for you, mom. I got a lane for you, dad. I got a lane for you, sir. I got a lane for you, madam. I got a lane for you, businessman. I got a lane for you, father. I got a lane for you, son. I got a lane for you, community member. I got a lane for you. And this lane is marked by freedom in Christ. A new life, a new beginning, a new way of relationship with God and relationship with people. Something completely different. And so he says, that kind of persuasion where you allowed someone to cut in your lane, that doesn't come from the one who calls you. That's not how God works. And watch what he says. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In other words, if you just let a little of that into your lane, you'll spoil the whole batch. God has called you to be free. Free. Unstuck. God has not called you to be a wreck in your emotions. God has not called you to live your life hinged to someone else, depending on what other people say or do. If somebody decides they want to be in your life or not, that's not God's plan for your life. The paths of, of of God are defined by peace and joy, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more in a second. But look, sometimes we're waiting for God to create the fruit in our lives. You know what that's called? Religion. I'm going to church, and God, you're going to change me. And you know, that's not entirely untrue, because the scriptures declare that in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so, yes, God has changed something in you if you know Christ. And if you don't, great news for you today. Listen, God wants to do something so amazing. So above and beyond what you could ever ask or think. He wants to rock your world. He wants to change your house. He wants to bring peace that goes beyond your understanding. He wants to give you vision and purpose and destiny so that you can leave a legacy through your life. But listen, regardless of where you are, I want you to see something here, that God is waiting on you to participate with his plan. It's called fruitfulness. It's called fruitfulness. Listen, it's been said, some people have said, man, I'm just waiting for my ship to pull in. Can I encourage you? Stop waiting. Dive in, swim to your ship, and go get it. Because God has given you the ability to make it happen with him. You're in partnership with God, right? My daughter-in-law is a farmer, Hannah. I remember last year we stopped by the farm that she managed. She, she's the manager for the urban farm here in the city of Newburg, and uh, she says, "Oh, come come to the farm, come to the farm." She's so excited, and I'm, I'll be honest with you because she's not here. I was not excited to go to a farm. I I wasn't looking forward to it. There was nothing, yeah, it just, it's lacking something. You get my point? But I went, and then I got interested when I got there because she's so orderly, and, you know, she had all these little tags, but there was nothing in the ground. I said, I thought this was a farm. There's nothing there. She goes, oh, no, no, no. We're in sowing season. And I said, well, man, it's just one seed. How come you got one seed here and then? Another two feet away, you got another seed. And she goes, she says, Dad, they need space to grow. She says, they all have their own plot, their own piece of land. And that's where their roots will begin to grow and mature and strengthen. And before you know it, guess what happened? A little a little blade. And then from a blade comes a stalk. And the next thing you know, you begin to see f- fruit. What am I saying to you, ladies and gentlemen? Stay there. Stay where God is growing you. You know, there's a valuable truth there that we need to consider that you got to get planted somewhere. You got to get planted somewhere. Maybe maybe this is where God is planting you. Maybe maybe God's planting you in the midst of a group of people and 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 this is all new and and you're grown. Listen, whatever you do, don't pull your seed out the ground. Let it grow. In 1 Thessalonians 4:10 through 11 uh, Paul says this. He says, "But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Listen to God's plan. That you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you." Can I just? Can you just say this to somebody with a smile? We got to do this with a smile. Mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your business, right? So, look, if you're going to be fruitful, be mindful that all fruit starts at the root. In Mark chapter 4, I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus gives various examples uh, through different types of ground settings and how a seed grows. And he alludes to the seed that produces some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And here's what he says. He likens that to the person who listens listens. And understands. Mark 4.20 says this. Others like the seed sown on good soil. Hear the word. Accept it. And produce a crop. Some 30. Some 60. Some 100 times. What was sown. I want you to think about this. That it all starts with what you listen to. And accept. And understand. And so the goal here is this. Look today. This might be your first time. This might be your millionth time at church at the bridge. You might be a regular here. But what I want you to go for is this. If you're going to go for fruit in your life, don't go for hearing the word of God. Go for listening and understanding the word of God, because when you listen and you understand acceptance happens in your heart and roots begin to spread and fruit begins to happen. And the change that you were striving to make happen on your own, all of a sudden you begin to change and you go, whoa, where'd that come from? How'd this apple get here? How'd this orange get here? Right? And so God calls you and I to be fruitful. But let me encourage you with a thought here. Don't make the mistake of trying to grow yourself either. See, God's job is to prosper you. And it's your job to plant yourself. God's job is to prosper you. And your job is to plant yourself. I like the way Psalms chapter 1. I'm not going to read it, but you can check it out for yourself. I think we have the verses up. You can put them up. It talks about in verses 1 through 3, the man who uh, associates himself, who who who, uh, surrounds himself in in unwise counsel. And then it gives us a, a contrast as to the man who seeks the word of God, who seeks to know God, who meditates on it. In other words, he thinks about it. He begins to dream about life according to what God's word reveals. And verse three says this, that that person is like a tree planted along the river bank, bearing fruit, Each season, it says that their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. How many of us want to prosper in all we do? Come on now. Listen closely. Here's where the fruit starts. At the root. What are you doing at the root of your heart? How are you feeling this heart of yours? What are you allowing to impact your belief? Your perspective of life. Your perception of yourself. Of your opportunities. Fruit follows seed. We got to understand that. We looked at Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and I'm not going to read it for the sake of time because we're wrapping up. But it talks about how the person who follows after the Spirit, this person, the fruit that they produce is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And I want you to think about this. Is that the fruit that you want in your life? Is it? If if, if that's the fruit you want, wave at me, right? Now, take your other hand, right? Wave at me, right? Now, right? Now, throw your shoulders into that a little bit, right? Let loose a little bit, right? Listen closely. The truth is this, that if peace is what you want, then you've got to sow it first. If patience is what you desire, you have to sow it first. You've got to exercise it. you got to exercise it. You ask any gold medalist in the Olympics, right? When did you start training for this? This, this, uh, this competition you're in. You know what they'll tell you? They didn't start yesterday. They didn't start six months ago. Listen, they incorporate this into their lives every day. Can I, can I just encourage you with a thought here? Incorporate the fruit that you want in your life by sowing it every day. Peace joy, patience, faithfulness, right? And lastly, I want to leave you with this thought that if you're going to be fruitful, it doesn't come through selfishness, but selflessness. Let me tell you where I get that from. If we could just put this up again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 through 26. Watch this. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Know what he's saying? Those who follow after Jesus those who are fruitful, something dies in their life. Something dies. Their own passions, their own desires. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have passions and desires. The question is, do they align themselves with the plans that God has for your life? And watch what he says in verse, uh, verses 25 and, and 26. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us stay in this lane of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. It says, let us let let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not, watch this, become conceited, provoking and envying each other. How many of you know someone who's conceited? We all know that person, right? We, we know somebody like that, right? That's that salty person that you don't want to be around, right? It's like, Listen, the less you focus upon self, the more potential there is for fruit in your life. Listen, there's nothing wrong with loving yourself. But if it's at the expense of loving yourself and rejecting the love of God, there will be no long-lasting fruit in life. Let's stand here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the truth of your word. I believe that no moment in the hearing of God's word is an accident. I believe that God's word speaks directly to our lives. And I believe that God is speaking to you. And so I want you to do something with me, if you will. I want you to just join me. In th- th- this is, This is no hocus pocus. I want you to just take these two hands of yours and raise them up. Just raise them up for a moment. However you feel comfortable. If you don't want to raise them, that's okay too. But I'm going to tell you why I want you to do this. Because this is a sign of a willingness to receive. And I don't know about you, but I want to receive all that God has for me. And God wants you to receive all that he has You because God loves you, and God wants you to grow to such an extent that your your vessel begins to expand, and there's more room for more that God wants to do. He wants to stretch you, He wants to mature you, He wants to grow you, He wants to He wants to lift you higher. You know why? Because you were destined to be fruitful in life. That's God's plan for you. And so, Heavenly Father, today we lift our hands as a sign of openness. And a declaration of faith that we believe what your word says. That we were created to bear much fruit. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here. That their mind and their heart and their understanding is open to the truth of your word today. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've started and you're completing to the day of Jesus Christ. You don't have to keep your hands up if you don't want to. That's fine. But as we close out here today, we never want to end without giving an opportunity for you to consider the most important question. In your life, the most important thing to fruitfulness, it's a personal relationship with God. And I don't know where you stand in this relationship with God. I don't know if you believe God. We're not here trying to convince anyone of anything. But if you find yourself today for the very first time thinking on a whole different level and saying, man, I didn't realize that God has great fruit for my life. I never realized that God cared about me enough that he would wake me up, that he would draw me here, that someone would invite me, that someone would speak, take the moment to speak directly to my life. If that's where you are right now and you're saying, man, I want this fruit and I desire it and I recognize that it's in God, then I'm telling you right now, you're prime and ready to accept the seed of God's word, Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. I believe that God loves me independent of what I do for him. I believe that he loved me so much that he paid the penalty for sin because it was my penalty to pay, but he paid it for me and made me free. And I believe that he has a great life for me, that he's got more in store for me. If you believe that with us today, then I want you to join us in a simple closing prayer. Let's pray this together with heartfelt conviction, with faith. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the penalty for me. And I believe that today you love me. Today I accept you as my Lord. As my Savior. And my God. And I declare that from this day forward. I'm trusting you. I'm following after you. And I'm bearing much fruit. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate all that God is doing in your life. Don't leave here without letting us know the decision you made. We want to walk alongside you now, Father. We leave here rejoicing in Jesus, looking forward to much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Happy Memorial Day. We'll see you again next Sunday.